Hey Logo Geeks, I'm your host Ian Paget, and on this week's episode we're going to be chatting logo design trends with Bill Gardner. Before I go into that, I want to thank the sponsor of this episode, FreshBooks. Now FreshBooks is an accounting software that lets you easily create professional looking invoices. Not only can I see who owes me money, but I can see who's yet to open the invoices too, which is a really useful feature. To check this out, FreshBooks have kindly offered listeners of this podcast a free 30-day trial. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com forward slash logogeek and enter logogeek in how did you hear about us section. This week, I'm honoured to be chatting with Bill Gardner, the founder of Logo Lounge. Now, for anyone that doesn't know what Logo Lounge is, it's basically a huge online database of um, logos and it's searchable. So you can search by um, any keyword, color and so on. It's really good for research. Now, this database is not free to access. There is an annual fee to it. But what that gives you access to is um, obviously the database so that you can search through it. You can also submit your own work. And there's also a competition side to it, too. So um, every um, couple of years, what happens is um, Bill, he brings in a jury of um, people and they select the very best logos and they end up putting that into a book. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an amazing opportunity to actually get your work published in a book. And um, I feel proud that I've actually had my work um, featured in um, one of those books so far. Now, Bill's also the um, founder of his own um, brand identity uh, design firm, which is called Gardner Designs. Now, when I first started really getting into logo design, I used to look out for and study um, the logo trend report that, that Bill publishes as part of Logo Lounge. And now that's on its 15th year, which is really impressive. Now, this is when I uh, really started to learn about Bill and um, I slowly discovered um, things he was um other things he was involved with. For example, um, he's done some fantastic um, tutorials with uh, Linda Learning. Uh, he also has an incredible book on logo design called Logo Creed, which I frequently recommend as it goes into um, real detail about the logo design process. So if you're new to logo design, um, that's one book that I frequently recommend um, people read. I really got to know Bill when he kindly invited me to be on the jury for Logo Lounge Book 9, which was a real honour to be part of and certainly a big highlight of my career as a logo designer. I mean, imagine it um, being in a book um, at the front as one of the people that have selected uh, those logos in there. It's it's a real honour to be um, part of and I'm personally really proud of that and I'm very thankful to Bill for that opportunity. Now, I brought Bill on as a guest um, so that we can talk about Logo Lounge and his uh, trend report and uh, the, the trends for 2017. So let's get into this. I'm proud to introduce you to Bill Gardner. Logo Lounge is a site for uh, inspiration and a resource for designers of identity to submit their works 
and it's highly searchable so that you can go in and uh, search logos by uh, their designer or their keywords or the industry they're in or the time period or regionalities or it's just very deep as far as your research capability when you're working on an identity. But when uh, we do a report and we do it annually, we take all the logos since the last report that have been uploaded. And this particular year, that's 25,000 logos that have been submitted since the last report that we had done, which was a year hence. And uh, uh, I literally, (laughs) I take a break from my family. I literally go through every single one of the logos that has been submitted. And I uh, uh, pull off every logo that has some quasi-unique aspect to it, some nuance to it that I'm not familiar with. And uh, this year it turned into a file folder of 1,800 of those 25,000 logos. Then I pick those over into um, uh, Illustrator and uh, start to lay all of that on the page in uh, 10 by 10 grids. And I play the world's largest version of Match Game. Are you familiar with Match Game? Um, it's like we call it Snap. So it's Snap it is. Um, and it's a matter of pulling out one of the logos and you start looking across the other ones for anyone that serves with those same you know, similarities. And you go, oh, okay, well, this one also has that kind of little nuance and, and this one and this. And you start to build these clusters that identify the unique properties of some of these logos. And it's not uncommon for by the time you've uh, gone through this, and sometimes it will take the better part of a week um, to have upwards of maybe a hundred or better clusters. And each one you give a name to, to kind of give you a sense of what is going on within that particular uh, cluster. And sometimes it's some kind of a thing like, you know, gee, I'm seeing a lot of um, avocados for some reason or another, or I'm seeing a lot of mustaches, or I'm seeing a lot of, you know, things. But more often than not, it's some aspect of how it is designed and built. Um, And then we take those and knock those down to usually around 30 of the more significant um, uh, trends that we see. And then we take those to a group of uh, other designers. And I think I've even asked you to participate in these before where we say, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. take, take a look at these and let me know which ones you think are most significant. And we kind of evaluate that. Um, not only do we look at the logos on Logo Lounge, but we also look at logos from uh, uh, just general design uh, from uh, around the world, more significant um, new corporate identity uh, packages. And at that point, we try and evaluate why each of these trends has happened. And if you've gotten into my reports before, you'll know that I usually give a goofy name to the uh, uh, trend. <laughs> yeah, we've got names such as like uh, like Yin Yang, uh, Pasta Blends. These, these names are great. <laughs> and it's something that kind of mnemonically helps you remember what that particular trend is. But we also explain why we think it's happening, what we think it is derived from and potentially where we think it's going. So kind of with with that set up um, here, let me go ahead and maybe talk about a couple of these here real quick. Um, uh, there, there were three up at the beginning that all talk with technique, and uh, one in particular is called Shadow Breaks. And um, it, it, 
this will show how nerdy we are as uh, you know logo designers um, is that uh, we really get into these little nuances but um, most designers know what a uh, line break is uh, in the design of a logo and it's usually when one line is passing over another line or um, one area passes over another area and we want to show that differentiation of planes uh, that are occurring in there so we will actually stop a line right before it reaches the next line, and then we'll continue it on, you know, on the other side. Now, of course, this happens in a two-dimensional field, you know, or, or in a plane, but um, that little break that we build in there is a symbolic representation of something passing over or under the other element, right? Mm-hmm. Um what we're starting to see is designers saying, you know, instead of just making that cut out of there um, and creating that negative space, maybe what we do is we go ahead and build a bit of a shadow under there. So uh, if one line passed under another, it would create a shadow typically. And sometimes the shadows are very solid, just a little bit deeper tone. Sometimes they have a gradient to them, but the idea is starting to move away from some of those line breaks that we are very accustomed to and moving towards these shadow breaks that are occurring in here. And the result of which is a little bit more of a movement towards reality. I mean, I, I just want to um, add to this because like with this style, with these um, shadow breaks that we mentioned, with the color versions, um, with I, a lot of the rules that we all um, take with logos, they're all taken from principles that were created um, pre-computers. Yep. So, you know, that that was at, at a time where um, logos needed to be reproduced multiple times, so they had to always work in single color. Now, with these, like, shadow breaks and blends and, and so on, a lot of these different trends, they don't necessarily apply to black and white, but nope. I want to just add... If if you was to do um, you know like a nice uh, you know full color version with the gradient that would work really well on um, you know on the website on an app um, it would work in full color print as well but if you did create a black and white version mm-hmm. you can then do the more traditional I don't know what you called it then like cut or something like that you're like basically um, with a logo, if you want to make a line look like it's going underneath another one, a really nice technique is you essentially just add a little gap and it looks like a shadow. But this is taking that one step further and making it look more three-dimensional. We actually took a couple of these logos in, uh, uh, and I guess I haven't shared that. Um, uh, so I'm also an author for uh, uh, lynda.com, which is now LinkedIn Learning. Um, which is uh, a tremendous resource of um, uh, uh, online uh, courses that people can uh, sign up for and take. And we do uh, now, uh, outside of a series on logo design for them that you can watch online, we do them on uh, uh, our trend report every year. So the trend report has just been released uh, there as well, so you can watch me. I'll tell you what. I'll um, after this, I'll I'll take a link from you, and we'll add that into the oh, show notes as well. Sounds good. Fantastic. The reason I was going there was because we actually did look at um, a couple of logos that uh, have shadow breaks in them, and we said, okay, let's look at what this looks like if you put a line break in it. 
and it looked totally wrong. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, really? difference between night and day. So I suspect, you know, let me go back to your comment that um, kind of led into this, which was that, you know, there's that series of rules, those tenants that we follow, the, the, the logo design canons, if you will. It's when you start getting into, it has to be in black and white with no um, halftone to it, um, or that it can only be a couple of colors, um, you know, that it has to be hardline. These are, um, uh, you know, the, these are things that I ask people to question because frankly, if you look at identity design and where it is shifting, look at major corporations, um, you're going to find that more and more of them have kind of cast these aside. And it, it is a difference in, uh, era. It is certainly a difference in technology, because, you know, uh, when, when those rules were established, we were living in a, a CMYK world where, you know, at best, um, everything was uh, CMYK, cyan, yellow, magenta, black. In those days, is probably the, like, a logo was always reproduced in some way and um, they would be put into, like, advertisements. So that, that logo had to work in a newspaper at single color. Yep. Um, and, um, you know, in terms of like branding, branding has also evolved as well. Like there's a lot more complex stuff yes. that you could do now that you couldn't do then. So from an identity point of view in like the fifties and sixties is when mm -hmm. I would say everything boomed. Yep. The way like the logo was so important, like the, the, the way it was done, it was just slapped on everything. So yes. this was a mark that had to work on absolutely everything, you know, at, at tiny sizes. I still think that applies today. No, you're... But it had to work on really tiny sizes. It had to work on, you know, the back of a truck. It had to work in a newspaper, magazine, and so on. But now, where do we see a logo? We see it on a website, in an email signature, um, in a video, mm -hmm. um, on social media. We see it in so, RGB. Yeah, no. we see it in RGB you know, primarily, and maybe print now and again. But like probably 95% of the people that are interacting with that brand, yep. they will probably see that logo first in RGB. Yep. And it's, it is a different environment. And even when we do see it in CMYK, again, technology has shifted. So let me, I'll, I'll use the example of uh, uh, UPS or United Partial Service. Is that, uh, they serve Britain? Um. I think UPS do. Okay. Uh, they, they, I'm not sure, but I know the brand. <laughs> okay. So they took the uh, old Paul Rand shield, which I loved, and they did something terribly crappy with the logo. Um, pardon me, but it's just my feeling. Uh, <laughs> where uh, they shifted it to, um, you know, it's still a shield. It still says UPS, but it uh, uh, has this golden highlight and ping of light and um, uh, gradation and tone to it. Um, it and it works perfectly for the consumer. The consumers get it. But take a look at UPS with fleets of thousands and thousands and thousands of vehicles, uh, aircraft, uh, packages, and shifting over to a logo that couldn't be reproduced in black and white, you know, really. Um, and the reason that it works is because if you take a uh, one of their delivery vehicles, um, keep in mind that they used to hire a painter, you know, to paint the logo on there. Couldn't have painted effectively um, a gradation. But now the cost of printing out the vinyl to apply 
to the outside of the vehicle is less expensive than the time it would take just to call the painter on the phone. Um, so suddenly our whole technology paradigm has shift. Um, uh, the idea of what it used to cost to scan a color image and print color was much higher than it is today. Obviously, digital printing has dropped, you know, uh, these prices dramatically. So just this technology shift is saying, you know, now when you start to say, well, I need a logo that's in black and white so that it will run in the uh, phone directory and in the classified ads, well, <laughs> nobody uses phone directories or classified ads anymore. Um, you know, suddenly, suddenly that need has turned into the tail on the dog and not the dog. Um, so I, I do think that it's worth adding. There are still instances where you might need a single color version, but yes. what you can do is um, you can you can create a version with yeah. these. Like if if you was to look at the the, the trend report, there's these nice. Um, logos with like these shadow breaks with these really nice gradients. I mean, you couldn't reproduce that in um, black and white. And when I say black and white, I mean solid black, not yep. um, you know gray tones and so on. Yeah. Where I'm, where I mean this could be used is um, you know in vinyl. Say, say if in the office, for example, you wanted a nice planar glass with um, the logo, you know, the, the, single... the, the logo, yeah, in a single yep. color vinyl. Yep. Now, that's not going to, I mean, you probably can get that reproduced, but it's not going to be that easy. So that's one instance. And say, um, in terms of printing on T-shirts uh, with screen printing, mm -hmm. the cost of getting a multicolor screen printed T-shirt version at, versus a single color, there's a big difference. So there are still instances. Oh, sure. But what I think you need to do, um, people that are listening to this, when you create um, a version like this for your client also create a version that would work in black and white so for example in this trend report there's a really nice kind of red how would you describe it kind of like it looks like a flower oh, uh -huh. like this version I would potentially either have like the shadows in some places as a break yep. or um, maybe just do the whole thing as a solid um, item uh, and I mean that logo would still be identifiable um, in single color. So that that's a nice example. Yeah, and you know, I mean, honestly, um, uh, <laughs> there there is always going to be a way that you can produce something um, in in a single color if you need to. But I guess the point that I'm trying to express here is I don't want people to get so hung up on that because it. I don't think we need to anymore. Portion. <laughs> of, I'll, I'll, I'll give a uh, example that may be close to uh, your region. If it, if it was here and we were to take a look at the uh, last version of the AT and T logo uh, that uh, certainly required um, uh, gradation and uh, you know. Uh, it, it wasn't just as simple as the current version. Or if you were to look at BT on the island, you know, um, BT in uh, uh, the UK is a wonderful example of a logo that requires transparency, gradation. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, BT didn't, you know, shut down uh, when they uh, moved from the Piper logo to the one that has the uh, six hemispheres that are kind of working together in the globe. That particular logo, that wouldn't actually work in black and white. Yep, that, but, but it didn't I'm stop curious. BT. 
I need to find what that looks in black and white if if there is a black and white version. Yeah. And 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 BT didn't quit manufacturing shirts. They didn't quit manufacturing mugs. They didn't quit, you know, uh, they, they just found other ways of demonstrating it as opposed to looking to use tools that used to be used to demonstrate vector art. So just, you know, not, not, not trying to argue the point. I'm just saying that it's one of those things where uh, typically somebody comes back with this, well, the old school says that you need to do it this way. And I'm going, okay, give me one example of an area where this logo couldn't be used. And, you know, I can always find an exception for it. So, And you find in, in most cases, you know, those examples I mentioned where, say, the T-shirt would be printed in single color, mm -hmm. you know, where you're screen printing. Yep. There are other printing methods that can, yep. that can print the gradients. Exactly. So, I mean, that was an example. Yep. But in reality, using that, if you didn't, if you didn't have a single color version and you only had these versions with gradients, there are ways to do it now. So I think what Bill was saying is totally correct. It's like it's one of those principles that originated in the 50s and 60s that we should start to question as a community. So that, that being said, let me counter myself now and tell you that there is nothing that I love more than a beautifully crafted single color vector logo, <laughs> you know, because, you know, if it, it shows me that level of craftsmanship, it, it, it warms my heart, especially when I see something that's just got a beautiful line to it. Um, so, you know, I'm, as a matter of fact, I'm going to move to the next uh, trend that maybe is kind of pressing things and that's simplicity, which is in here. Yeah. And um, it's it's almost hard to look at this and kind of go, really, does that belong in a trend report? But it is speaking to this entire aesthetic that's going on right now of trying to become more austere, more Spartan, um, uh, trying to economize on stroke and mark uh, to convey a message. And, uh, you know, if, if anything, this trend probably is going to suffer from the possibility that we're going to run out of geometric shapes to be used here pretty quickly. Um, and frankly, if you're looking in the report, there is both simplicity and there is simple overlays, which have a lot of commonalities in there. But uh, uh, with simplicity, it is taking truly geometric, simple shapes uh, much like those building blocks that we may have grown up with as children and uh, rearranging them to craft out uh, marks that uh, express this idea of this company has found a way to reduce something down to something you can understand, that this company produces a product that is going to be easy for you to manipulate. This company manufactures um, a process that you will understand. Um, so that's a lot of the message that's kind of going on in here. I just want to take a short break to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, FreshBooks. Today, more and more designers are going freelance, either on the side or full time. And when you're taking payments, it's important that you keep everything organized and looking professional, especially when it comes around to tax return season. 
Now, when I started out, I was using Excel spreadsheets to track my profits and expenses, but I found that started to get quite messy and unorganized. When I discovered FreshBooks, I started to feel much more organized as I had clear visibility of all of my payments and expenses in one location. Now, I recommend you check it out for yourself and you can do that for free because FreshBooks have kindly offered you, the listener of this podcast, a free 30-day trial. To claim that, all you need to do is visit freshbooks.com forward slash logogeek and enter logogeek in the how did you hear about us section. Now let's get back to the interview. I've seen a lot of um, big brands uh, start to, I guess, when, when they redesign at the moment, they are going more simple. So a lot of brands that did have, um, you know, gradients like uh, Audi, they redesigned and they gone very simple. Um, I think uh, Mini did, did the same thing with their logo. They've gone very yep. simple. And I think in a lot of cases it works. Um, and I was thinking the simple trend, which I mean, it's in this trend report, but you mentioned it's been around for a few years now. Um, Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Taco Bell redesigned recently, but I just felt like there's a threshold for taking it too far. I, I'm not sure what your thoughts are with, with that particular example, but I, I just felt like it lost something. I kind of feel like with simplicity, there's a threshold to which it should be taken. And I felt with Taco Bell, there was something about the previously identity that was recognizable that they lost in the new version. So I think with simplicity, there's a, there's a line of to mm-hmm. which <laughs> simplicity, you know, where you can be oversimplified. Yeah. And, and part of it depends on if you're looking at the new Taco Bell logo in application, or if you're just looking at it against a white background, I think in yeah. application, it works a little bit better. Um, frankly, my, my biggest issue with it is it looks like a prophylactic that's not been fully unfurled. Um, and <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but I can't get beyond that when I look at the uh, new draftsmanship on the bill. Um, uh, I, I, I think that maybe one of the issues uh, with uh, Taco Bell is that um, uh, they, they, have, they have pushed it. I, that, that trend, the, the simplicity one that's actually in, in here, just so that everyone listen, listening that, that hasn't looked at this, where you're referring to simplicity in this, it is very basic shapes. I mean, we're talking like circles, squares, um, triangles. This is it's as basic as it could get. It's almost like, a, how would I describe it? Almost like a child has cut out shapes and put them together. You know, it's... It, um, there used to be a simplicity. product called Color Forms. Do they have Color Forms uh, in the I'm UK? I'm not sure what that is. They were uh, little vinyl pieces of uh, colored pieces of vinyl that would stick to other vinyl that uh, would be cut into shapes and uh, kind of like a tanagram that uh, you could take these various shapes and construct and build things out of them, you know, on a on a flat picture. Um, mm-hmm. And it kind of looks like, you know, it was a set of those that were used to design some of the Zendesk. Uh, which is a letter Z, which is formed out of two, uh, uh, out of a circle that's been cut in half. So two pieces of a circle um, and two triangles that form a letter Z. And it, it's a beautiful, simple shape. 
but it also talks about the simplicity of the product and its use in many ways. But if you take those particular shapes, I can rearrange those and I can recreate the Imagine logo that Chermoff Geismer has created for Imagine Media, which is a uh, oh. Mexican <laughs> Uh, company, you know, which is a circle and a square. With um, simplicity, I I do think um, where where big brands do it really well in most cases is that um, like their identity has existed for um, many years in most cases, and there is some component of that that's become very identifiable. And where I think Taco Bell made a mistake is that they lost whatever that was in that previous one that that was very identifiable and stripped out some element of it and i just feel like that's one of the first big rebrands where i felt like they've oversimplified or they've lost some element of what made that very identifiable they they've removed that so i think with simplicity what's important to bear in mind and it's worth looking at like logos from say like starbucks Uh and look at their evolution you will see that it's been refined and refined and refined and now it's at this even though it's quite complex in comparison to these simple ones in in the trend report, mm-hmm. it's probably as simple as it can get without turning it into a green dot. <laughs> yeah, well, and, you know, that may be the next step. Who knows? You, we, we look at something and we kind of go, okay, now, now they've reached that epitome of simplification. It now can't be simpler it. than this, but it always does. You know, um, we're always able to knock something down and make it simpler. I, I think yeah, I mean, back to Taco Bell and not to not to focus on that. But I think <laughs> that what's happened there is that, you know, certainly at, at one point, if you go, really go back in the history of Taco Bell, it was a flat, undimensional uh, silhouette of a bell shape. And then mm-hmm. it started to take on dimensionality, you know, from the perspective of it and the shape of it. Um, and now it, you know, has even carried that further. It's tried to pull together this combination of flatness and dimensionality together, and they're working in counter to each other, which is, uh, where, where I really see the problem with Taco Bell. Yeah. Okay. I mean, going into that, I mean, we generally talk a lot about what makes a really good logo, Mm -hmm. but since you've seen so many, um, logos uploaded, um, how many? It must be like half. Was it half a million that you've had uploaded? Yeah, uh, no, no, it's a quarter million. But I'll take the half million. If you want to million. give it to me. Quarter million, still a lot. <laughs> I think uh, as of today, there are two hundred and sixty-five thousand seven hundred and four logos that have oh, uh, been uploaded to Logo Lounge, and you always see the most recent one on the front page. The most recent logo okay. today is in in the books and on in the trend report. We tend to see the very best. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk through a few of the things that, like mistakes that people make? Any yeah. of the logos that are particularly bad that are get, getting rejected? <laughs> what is it making them? I mean, like I, I like people that's listening to this to hear what not to do because it's all very well hearing. Yeah, it needs to be simple. Sure. It needs to be memorable. Yeah. But we we don't talk about what makes what mistakes people are making. So, have you got any like? Things that you generally see. One of the biggest traps that uh, young identity designers will uh, get get caught up with is uh, this concept of uh, being literal in what you're trying to communicate um, uh, for a company. 
uh, for an entity, for an organization. And that is that, you know, uh, gosh, if, if this is a company that manufactures tires, that, then it's imperative that I show a tire in the logo. And it, and it's not, you know, it, uh, in fact, you know, a company that manufactures tires, what they're doing is they're, um, uh, dealing with the business of getting people from point A to point B. They're dealing with, um, uh, motion and moving things from place to place. Um, uh, they're dealing with velocity. You know, you start to take a look at, you know, uh, what, uh, a company is doing. You know, you, you could also say, gee, um, uh, Michelin comes out and says, what we're doing is we're providing that degree of comfort and safety for your family, family, as opposed to we're making tires. Um, mm. and when you start to think about what that logo is going to be, as soon as you realize that you're starting to just draw pictures of what they manufacture or trying to draw pictures of, you know, what they achieve, you probably are heading in the wrong direction. It, it's fine to, you know, it's fine to lay those down and uh, to kind of get those out of your system. Uh, there's an old expression in design that uh, no idea is as dangerous as the only idea that you have. And, you know, uh, when, when, when you're designing your very first ideas, sometimes they're good. <laughs> sometimes mm -hmm. they're just that first idea and you need to keep moving and not become so infatuated. Um, uh, another uh, aspect of this is uh, this idea of trying to, um, there is a secret to being able to build layers of information into an image without making it complex. And, um, uh, you know, our, our designers at Gardner Design, uh, one of our mantras is that every logo needs to live on three levels. That, you know, it as you look at that mark, that uh, it initially says this to you. It might be an initial for the company, who knows. But secondly, as you look at it, you start to realize, oh, that also could be this, which is what they achieve. And, oh, it could also be this, which is, you know, it, it looks like the place where it is. Or you can start to see these different layers of things as you become familiar with and develop a relationship with that mark. And I use three euphemistically because it could be four, it could be five, but we really try and build layers of complexity into it. But we try and keep our marks incredibly simple in form. Um, and sometimes that is the way that, uh, as a designer, um, keep, keep in mind, if, if I gave you the challenge, Ian, of draw a logo that looks like the letter K, but also looks like a dog, I'm positive that you're skilled enough that you could do that, that you could make it both a letter K and a dog. But at some point in there, you're going to shift it so far that people say, ah, I see the K, but not the dog, or I see the dog, but not the K. And the objective is to try and find that point at which you're able to fathom both, but not be literal about either. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, uh, so for younger designers, the other thing is that, you know, it is be able to know how to rebut a client politely. 
um, keep in mind that they have hired you because of your level of expertise. And it's easy to be cowed or directed by a client in such a way. And, and I'm not saying you don't want to listen to the client because that's imperative that you build your brief from their objectives and what they're trying to achieve. But also keep in mind that they have a very limited site that um, uh, they, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a quick example. Um, years ago, we were approached by a company um, that provided uh, job opportunities to people that had visual impairments. Um, uh, it was called Wichita Industries and Services for the Blind years ago. And one of the things that they pointed out was whatever you do when you create this identity, don't use an eye in it, you know, a person's eye. And we thought, okay, well, that's kind of a strange request, but we'll, we'll, we'll heed that. And as we got into it, we started realizing that it was very challenging to create something that didn't use an eye when you're talking about sight. Um, not, not impossible, but challenging. And we ended up coming up with this wonderful logo, which were these two hands that were coming together because the hands are a person who's visually impaired's eye often. And um, as the two hands came together, these two thumbs touching uh, kind of created the shape of an eye uh, with a pupil in the center of it. And we showed it to them and, and they loved it. And it served them well for many generations now. But... When we asked them why they didn't want to use an eye, it was because they had seen a logo of a person's face with, in place of their eyes, there were a couple of X's drawn where the eyeballs would be indicating that they didn't have sight. And yeah, that would have been a terrible solution, but it was what was driving them towards why they didn't want to use the eye. Uh, so when you have a client that tells you, don't do this, heed that, listen to it. But also try and determine why they've said that. And if you believe that there's an opportunity there, then show them what that opportunity is. I've experienced that situation very recently. Um, I did a logo for a vegan company. Yes. And they specifically asked, don't use any leaves or green. But I came up with a really good idea that you used to leave. <laughs> and uh, I shown it to them. I said, I understand that you did ask to avoid this direction but i would like to show you this is one of the options um we didn't take that route in the end but she sure. loved it and see um making her mind up about that and it literally used a leaf <laughs> there, there you go and again we're you're the expert ian i'm the expert our, our listeners are the experts here uh when when you're approached the the value that you bring to this is that you have this level of experience where you understand the way that the public responds to iconography and to symbology and what you can get away with and what you can't. And, you know, we're stewards of their brand when we do that, uh, but they're looking for our best advice. I think one thing that we both said here is we've acknowledged what they said and actually told them, I understand that you did ask to avoid this route, but... <laughs> Uh, so I think it's important <laughs> to do that. Yeah, it's, I think you have to do that so that you've acknowledged that you've heard what they said, but you then recommended an alternative direction that does use that. So, um, yeah, I think that that's an important takeaway from this. That being said, sometimes they may say that and be totally right. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm really keen to know what was it that got you into logos? Like where where did you start out? Where did that passion for logos 
You know, um, a couple of different answers for this. One, you know, you you track it back to when um, uh, I really got into it as far as the actual practice of design. But the other thing that becomes evident to you after you start giving a little bit of consideration is points during your childhood that uh, you're realizing that you paid far too much attention to these little symbols and what they meant. Um, so, uh, in fact, my, uh, my great or my grandfather, uh, was a rancher and an oil man, uh, failed at both, by the way, but as a rancher, and this is, keep in mind, this is a gentleman who was born, oh, 1895. Um, and I'm from Kansas and you've got oil and ran- you've got oil and cattle here. And, uh, he had a brand for uh, he and his father's ranch, which was called the Diamond Bar. And that literally meant that they branded cattle with this diamond shape that had a little line underneath it. And uh, at a later point in uh, his career, he went into home building, which is where he really made his career. And he would actually tack these little diamond bar shapes onto people's trellises or their garage doors or build a window into the house that was diamond shaped with a little bar underneath it uh, and the likes. And when my father took over the business, he had these diamond bars cast in uh, aluminum or as you might say, aluminum, and uh, (laughs) uh, they would screw them to the front doors of the houses. So, I can recall as a child drawing and redrawing this diamond bar, working with the proportions of it and trying to make it feel better to me. So if you really are saying, where did it all start? You know, hey, a 10-year-old with some Prismacolors drawing a logo over and over that belonged to the family. And, uh, you know, if, if you start thinking about it from that perspective, that's a little bit too obsessed at an early age. You look back at this, um, I can even recall as a child seeing uh, uh, logos for like a television station locally that I'd be going, yeah, you know, that K and the letter N are the same thickness, but the letter S is thinner. Wouldn't you, you know, and it should be connected here. And wouldn't that, you know, so I was a critic long before, you know, I was actually you know, um, and uh, then college came along, and a lot of people don't realize that I actually started with a, a degree in business. So I have a, um, uh, uh, a BBA in business, and then decided that uh, I wasn't really happy going into the family business, which was real estate and real estate appraisal. So I went back to college. I was putting myself through school at the time doing magic. And um, uh, wasn't really tied down and had done some art in college and thought, you know, I'm going to try a design degree. So I went to a different school, um, ultimately found my wife there, um, found out they didn't have much of a design program, came back to uh, Wichita State where I graduated from and got another degree in uh, uh, fine arts, you know, uh, design. And at that point, um, started looking for a job. So what happened after this? Like, I, I understand that you have your own studio. How did that come about? I, I have never worked for anybody else. 
as as I indicated, I was putting myself through college uh, doing magic, and I was relatively well known. Uh, I worked for a, uh, a gentleman doing magic before getting into design that uh, uh, traveled around the world putting on magic conventions and uh, mm-hmm. uh, became pretty associated with um, uh, a lot of the name magicians that your audience might know, uh, including some from uh, England, like uh, uh, Bob Reed, and, uh, Paul Daniels, and the likes uh, that I befriended. Um, but uh, I was going to say, ultimately, uh, when I started going out and interviewing uh, for a design position, I would make it through the interview, and people would look at the portfolio, and then they would say, well, that's all good, but show me a trick. <laughs> so, you know, I realized at that point, and I didn't mind showing him a trick, but it was a matter of, I need to put away the magic. If I'm going to be focused on design, I need to put away something that I love and uh, pursue an avenue that really can build a living for me. And, uh, uh, started doing some freelance work here and there and pretty soon had enough work that I needed to hire somebody to help me with it. And, uh, it just turned into a company. Um, uh, I had a partnership or two, uh, actually a partnership in there, uh, at one point, but, uh, uh, have always worked for myself and Gardner designs, uh, you know, sole proprietorship. So, uh, we've got a group of about 10 or 11 folks here, uh, depending on a good day. And, um, uh, we just focus entirely on branding and brand design. That's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing it. Now, um, we're close to the end of our time. Um, so do you have any final piece of advice for our listeners? I, you know what, um, we, we are so fortunate that we have, uh, a really tremendous group of clients that generally have a lot of courage and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that if there's some level of advice that I can, uh, give to, uh, the folks out there, it's that, uh, when, when you're creating for somebody, realize that, uh, this is going to be something that you don't have to live with as much as they do. And that there, this is going to represent them in such a way that you can never ultimately fathom. So you've got to, you know, don't, don't just draw a picture. Don't just, you know, uh, facilely uh, look at this project, but really consume the project, know everything that you can uh, about that particular industry or client so that uh, you're creating something that is going to represent them again for generations to come. Hey, Bill, thank, thank, thank you very much for your time. Thank you again. I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to your audience and congratulations with your success with Logo Geek. That was such a great chat. Thank you, Bill, for being uh, such a brilliant guest and for um, sharing so much with us. To learn more about Bill Gardner, Logo Lounge, and the trend reports we've discussed in this um, episode, make sure to check out logolounge.com. Also be sure to check out Bill's tutorial videos and books too, which I'll link to in the show notes uh, for this episode, which can be found at logogeek.uk forward slash podcast five. 
If you'd like to discuss this episode with other logo designers, uh, me included, make sure to join the Logo Geek community on Facebook and you can find that simply by visiting logogeek.uk forward slash community or you can just find me on Twitter at logo underscore geek. Now I have a small ask from you guys. This podcast series is very new and I'm keen to get more listeners. If you'd like to help me out, I'd really appreciate um, if you could write a review on iTunes. And um, if you know any other uh, logo designers or or anyone else that might find this um, series interesting, if you could pass on the details, I'd really um, value that. So thank you so much um, if you do um, choose to do one of those things. So guys, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.